The Lord put a message in my heart from Mark chapter 6 today. Today is dedicated to those of you that find yourselves in the midst of a storm in life. God is faithful. Verse 47, the gospel of Mark chapter 6. Late that night, the disciples were in their boat in the middle of the lake, and Jesus was alone on the land. And he saw that they were in serious trouble. Do you thankful that Jesus sees us? Rowing hard and struggling against the winds and the waves at three o'clock in the morning, he came to them walking on the water and he intended to pass them by. But when they saw him walking on the water, they cried out in terror, thinking he was a ghost. And they were terrified when they saw him. Jesus spoke to them. He said, don't be afraid. Take courage because I am here. And then he climbed into the boat and stopped the wind They were totally amazed, for they did not understand the significance of the miracle of the loaves. The title of today's message is, Don't Forget the Miracle. Come on, let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it brings truth to our hearts and to our lives. God, we pray that by your Holy Spirit, you would... Minister to us today. Bring truth that sets us free. Let these words jump off the page. We thank you that this book is alive, that it speaks to every issue of life. Help us to leave here encouraged, transformed, and changed by your power. We love you today. In Jesus' name we pray, and all God's people said amen. Amen. Grab your seats at all of our campuses and grab your Bibles. Turn there to Mark chapter 6. Mark chapter 6. You're going to want a piece of paper and a pen or your cell phone. You can click on the notes section of the app for the weekend, and you'll find a fill-in-the-blank version of the notes. You can follow along as we study God's Word, but make sure that you take notes somewhere. Note takers are history makers. Amen, everybody. God wants to speak to you today. It's important for you to jot those things down. As you get all those ready... I want to say hello to our church family meeting in other campuses, those of you watching online and all the correctional facilities across the state. Church, can you help me welcome our church family today? Come on, put your hands together. Say hello. I'm excited to get into the word today. Let me kind of set the table for what's happening. If we go back to the beginning of Mark chapter 6, the beginning of Mark chapter 6, it's fascinating how Jesus had sent the disciples out for ministry and they had been preaching the gospel and setting people free, seeing people healed. They've just returned to deliver the news to Jesus about all the things that they had done and that they had taught. And of course, about that time, the message arrives to Jesus of John the Baptist, his cousin who has been beheaded. And uh, so there's a lot going on. At the same time, the Bible says that there were so many people coming and going in Jesus's ministry that he didn't have time to eat. So they're going without. They're getting very tired, overextended. So in verse 31 of Mark chapter six, Jesus says, it's time for vacation. We got to take we got to take a break. So he gets the disciples in the boat and he begins to set sail for a desolate place, a place that's out in the middle of nowhere where nobody should have been so that they could spend some time together to rest. But of course, the Bible tells us, if you read the story, that people saw Jesus and the disciples getting into the boat, and so they started to run around 
the outside of the sea to get to where Jesus was going before he even got there. So it's kind of comical if you really think about it. Like, I don't know if you ever put yourself in these Bible stories or really think about what it would be like, but here's Jesus. He's, uh, you know, the most famous human that's ever lived, not because he's popular, because he sings good, but because everywhere he goes and every person he touches, his lives are transformed. And so people just can't get enough of him. They want to be around him. They know that they need him. And so they see him getting into the boat with his disciples. And so they start running as fast as they can along the shore. So here's Jesus and the disciples just like putting along in the boat. And there's like this stampede of people, probably with dust rising from them. And it says that they go and find all these people from the different towns along the way. And by the time Jesus arrives, there's a crowd of thousands of people who have come needing a fresh touch from Jesus. I think it's fascinating in verse 34, when Jesus landed and saw the large crowd, he said to them, what is wrong with you? I'm on vacation, leave me alone. No, it's not what he said. Because Jesus loves people. And so the Bible says that he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And so what did he do to meet their needs? He began teaching them many things. I think it's fascinating how so much of what we need, we need a fresh touch from heaven and we need the anointing. We need the Holy Spirit to minister to us. Some of us need reconciliation and healing from our past and healing in our bodies and deliverance from the enemy. But the most important thing we need is the word of God. We need God's word that will help us establish a new way of thinking, a new pattern of living. And so as Jesus meets their needs, he doesn't go straight to meeting the needs that you and I would think. He goes first to teaching them. It's what rescues people. It's what will change your life today. And it says in verse 35 that by this time it was late in the day. So Jesus begins to see these people. His heart is moved with compassion and he starts ministering and teaching them. And he gets into this flow where church lasts all day long. And so here they are in the morning, probably ministering. They blow right past lunch and they're in a desolate place. They're a long ways away from all of the fast food restaurants and he's teaching and it's good and people are hungry for God to move. And so they don't wanna leave. You know, sometimes in life, you gotta make a choice. Sometimes we have a choice between meeting our natural need and meeting a spiritual need. And these people were hungry for the bread of life. Jesus even said himself, men will not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God in Matthew chapter four, when the devil is tempting him. And so here are these people prioritizing the spiritual over the natural. Yes, they're hungry physically, but man, they know they need a touch spiritually so much more. They're not willing to leave. But the disciples are getting nervous. And I love how the disciples are the ones that are obsessed with lunch. It always is fascinating to me how those who are entrenched in the church, those who work at the church, very obsessed with, we're gonna eat something? When are we gonna eat? Like y'all got up this morning, we're like, what are we gonna eat for lunch? It's like, it's not even breakfast. Some of y'all are thinking about it right now. Like, I wonder how long this is gonna take. It feels like it's a little late. And I know they changed the service format and they don't gotta be out of here till one. That could be trouble. I mean, the MCO could be backed up by the time he's done. I'm not sure what, where this is going. 
So the disciples come to him and they're like, look, this is a remote place. Verse 35, and it's getting really late. So you should send the people away. Not that we would send the people away because Jesus, this teaching is amazing. We could listen to you all day, every day for the rest of our lives. We aren't even thinking about food, but it's the people. We're worried about the people, you know, it's the people. So why don't you go ahead and send them away to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy them something to eat. Jesus, things have changed. It's post-COVID. We're in Fishers. Taco Bell's not open 24 hours anymore. It's going to be a problem. I guess it's going to be a problem. Sunday, Jesus, Chick-fil-A's closed. Where are they going to go? We got to get these people something to eat. But when you prioritize the spiritual, Jesus always meets the natural. If you'll put God first, he'll always meet the physical needs in your life. If you'll just prioritize the presence of God and the word of God in your life, I can promise you that he'll touch the rest of your life. And so Jesus has an interesting response. Verse 37, you give them something to eat. The disciples said, well, that's crazy. That would take more than a year and a half's wages. Do you want to go spend that much money feeding all these people? Are we supposed to go buy that much bread? And Jesus says in verse 38, how many loaves do you have? I want you to go and see. And so they went and took inventory. They found out and they reported back five and two fish. So obviously none of these people planned on being with Jesus all day because all they could find is one Long John Silver snack pack. That's all we got. We got two fish and dude loved bread, so he ordered extra rolls. So we got five rolls and two fish. That's all we found. And here we begin to see some very interesting things unfold. And I'm gonna give you some thoughts from this first miracle that I want you to jot down today. First of all, the thing that's fascinating to me is how when God does a miracle of provision in your life, he always begins with what you have. When God provides supernaturally for you, he always starts with what you have. What do you have? Too many of us, especially those of us charismatics that live this life of big faith, are always looking out to the horizon of the things that we don't have. What wonderful new thing is God gonna bring into my life to meet all of my needs when the reality is God, if you look through scripture, always focuses on what you do have. When God called Moses to be a deliverer and he was wrestling with the confidence of people aren't gonna accept me and nobody's gonna listen to me, in Exodus chapter four and verse two, the Lord said to him, what do you have in your hand? Moses said, well, I got a staff. And God said, let's use that. And he threw it down, it became a snake and then he picked it back up and it turned back into a rod. In 2 Kings chapter four, the prophet comes to the widow who's starving to death and Elisha says, how can I help me? Tell me, what, I, what do you have in your house? She says, your servant has nothing there at all except a small jar of olive oil. What's in your hand? What's in your house? Because when God wants to do a miracle in your life, he always starts with what he's already given you. 
He's not looking for what you don't yet possess. He wants to take the little that you have and turn it into much. So if you want God to do a miracle in your life, start taking inventory of the things that he has already given you because I promise that the little that you have is enough if you put it into the hands of Jesus. Now I'm just gonna tell you, I'm gonna preach a lot better than that so y'all better wake up in this Baptist church. I'm gonna get frustrated. I preach better when you shout at me. There you go. Even though you might have a little, you better stop discounting it because it's more than what you need in the hands of the master that you serve. But you got to know what you got. Jesus said, what's in your hand? Now, I love how John, you don't have to turn there, but in John's account, John chapter six and verse nine, the Bible tells us there's this little boy that had the five loaves and the two fish. Now, here the thing, the, the thing is fascinating, is that verse 44 of the account that we're in, Mark chapter six, skip down to verse 44, the Bible says, the number of men who had eaten was 5,000. When we talk about this story, we talk about the feeding of the 5,000. So what people counted that day was the men. And yet, the person that God used in the story to create the miracle was a little boy. You know why? Because God loves using people that other people don't count. The whole story is about how God fed 5,000 men and yet it's a little boy whose lunch was put in the hands of the master to feed the masses. God loves to use people that the other people have discounted. Maybe you've been told that you don't count, that you don't have the right talent, that you're not old enough, that you're not blessed enough, that you're not strong enough, you're not pretty enough, you're not holy enough. Guess what? You're the person God chooses to use because he loves to touch people that everybody else looks over. In fact, I think God searches for the people that the world discounts and says, that's the one I'm going to touch. That's the one I'm going to anoint. And if you miss the revival services, young people, listen to me. Do not discount your age as a reason why you are disqualified from ministry. The revival that God is sending is coming through young people. Your generation is the one that's under attack. The devil is trying to confuse your friends and your classmates. And now is the time, not for just at school, but here at the church for you to lead, for you to preach, for you to lead worship, for you to serve at the door, for you to get involved in the kids' ministry. Now is your time because God loves to use people that other people don't count. Then Jesus gives this strange command. Verse 39. He directed them to have all the people to sit down in groups on the grass, and so they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties. Honestly, it kind of seems like a little bit of a strange command in, in the midst of the setting. We know that it's getting late. We know that people are hungry. They're probably fainting from the sun. They've been in the desert all day. It's getting late. There's a little bit of urgency here for the miracle. And Jesus can operate any way that he wants to. And yet he says, let's, let's bring some order to this. Let's spend a little time dividing things out. Now, 
It's fascinating to me because if you got 5,000 men, Lord knows if it's a real church service, 5,000 men means you probably got at least 10,000 women because there's two women for every guy at church typically, which I don't know why the young men haven't figured that out yet, but praise the Lord. Ladies love church. And then if you got 10,000 women, you probably got, you know, at least five, six, seven. If it's I-Town, you'd have 30,000 kids because y'all multiply like rabbits. Praise the Lord. (laughs) Healthy marriages. Praise God for that. So we're talking easy 20,000, maybe 25. Could have been 30,000 people there. And Jesus is like, you know what we're going to do? We're going to divide up into groups. You know that was chaos herding cats, trying to get these people who are starving into groups of hundreds and fifties. Why did he do that? I think the simple spiritual principle is that the greatest miracles take time. God loves to take time to work in our lives. You know, we're trained in impatience. I don't know about y'all, but I am super impatient. Like, I know that patience is a fruit of the Spirit, but I need the Spirit to work in my life every day. Can I get an amen in God's house? Like, I just, I like things fast. We are the inventors of fast food in America, which in case you didn't know, if you have a family of eight, it ain't fast. It don't matter how fast they say they are. It's super not fast. If you have eight people in your family and you go anywhere to the drive-thru, you are going to be told every time, sir, can you please pull forward? No, you're going to forget about me when I pull up there and you're going to give all my fries that you have to make fresh to the 18 cars behind me. And then 10 hours later, you're going to walk out and be like, what did you have again? Culver's is the worst because they give you ice cream first. And then that mess melts in the car. It's like, I didn't order soup. What is this? We serve a crockpot God in a microwave world because we want it now. But the biggest promises that God makes take time. And the longer it takes, the bigger the destiny, the bigger the destiny, the longer the wait. That's just how God works. Abraham had to wait 25 years to get one kid because he was supposed to be the father of many nations. Takes time. So Jesus says, I want you to put them in groups. I want you to make sure there's a little bit of structure, a little bit of order, which I think we ought to apply to our own lives. So many times we're asking God to move, and I'm not saying that it's wrong to pray for a miracle. I'm just saying maybe it hasn't happened because God's not ready to bless your mess. Maybe there's just too much disorder. Maybe there's just too much chaos in your life. And God wants to touch you. He wants to bless you. He wants to take you to the next level, but he needs you to manage what he's already given you. Because we got to have the structure to be able to support it. Yes, God wants to bless you, as we'll see in a moment, so that you can be a blessing to the world around you. But if you don't know where your money goes and you don't have a budget now, why would God give you more? Because you'll squander it. We pray that God would give us a better job, but we're not showing up on time to the one that we have. 
We want God to give us a better car, but it's been eight years since we cleaned out the one that we've got. And we can tell every fast food restaurant you've been to for the last 12 years, you tell everybody, when God gives me a Beamer, I'll take care of it. Praise him. No, you won't. Because your Toyota Tracel looks like trash. Man, when I got my little Honda Accord with 186,000 miles on it to come plant I-Town, I popped those hubcaps off and I spray painted those bad boys and I deep cleaned the interior and it still smelled like dog butt. But I was just like, praise the Lord. It's going to be nice as it can be for Jesus. I'm going to do the best I can to manage what God has given me. You think, Lord Jesus, I want a woman who is fine, but you have not figured out how to get out of bed before noon, how to brush your teeth, how to move out of your mother's basement, how to get a job. These are all steps that we must take to bring order to our lives so God can bless you. Just trying to help you. One day you'll do all those things and you will have a child and you will name him Dave because I helped you. (laughs) Find your wife. The biggest blessings take time. God's more concerned about your character than he is your comfort. He will build your life before he builds your ministry. There are things that he wants to do through you, but first he's got to do some things in you. Divide them up. Bring some order. Groups of hundreds, groups of fifties. Verse 41, taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and he gave thanks. It's fascinating. Notice at this point in the story, he's still only holding five loaves, and two fish. What he is thanking God for and what he is blessing is not enough to meet the immediate need. Jot this down if you're taking notes. We have to learn how to be thankful for what we have even when it's not enough. Until we can be thankful for what is not enough, it will never be multiplied into more than enough. God wants us to learn how to have an attitude of gratitude, that everything I have in this life comes from my Father in heaven, so I will manage well, I will steward well, and I will appreciate the things that I have. I may not live in the house that I long to live in, and I might not yet be able to dress where I feel like I'm headed. I'm not able to be as generous on every occasion as I'd like to be, but praise God for the provision that I do have. Thank God for what he has given me in this life because everything we have comes from the hand of God. Multiplication follows an attitude of gratitude. We need to learn how to always be thankful. Jesus lifted it up and gave thanks. God, thank you for this Long John Silver snack pack. Looking at 20, 25,000 people. Praise the Lord for this tiny little snack. Verse 41, here's the key. When he gave thanks, he broke the loaves. I want you to notice still up to this point, there is not enough to feed the multitudes. Nothing has happened. It has been blessed, but it has not yet been broken. But once it is broken, it actually receives 
The blessing, jot it down this way if you're taking notes, the blessing is in the breaking. Say it with me, the blessing is in the breaking. Say it again, every campus, the blessing is in the breaking. After he blessed it, he broke it, but it wasn't until he broke it that it multiplied, and there's a spiritual law that I want you to see. That which refuses to be broken refuses to be blessed. Some of the most blessed people on planet Earth are some of the most broken people that you will ever meet because they have gone through the greatest blessing or breaking to receive the greatest blessing. It wasn't until he broke it that it multiplied. If God allows you to go through breaking, it is simply because he is trying to bless you. He is not trying to destroy you. He is trying to take you to a new level. And it's not until we are broken that our lives can be multiplied. He thanked God and then he broke it. When's the last time that we were thankful for God's breaking? He wasn't killing you. He was blessing you. Every time you were rejected, every time you were alienated, every time you were abandoned, every time you were disappointed, every time you were cursed at, every time you were told no, broken homes, broken hearts, broken dreams, broken friendships, every one of those broken moments was because God was getting ready to bless you. If you've ever been broken and God has blessed you, can you take a minute to give God praise? The breaking is what brings the blessing. The very thing that you and I spend all of our prayer time cursing is the very thing that God is going to use to bless us because out of the broken pieces, he fed the masses. He didn't hand out whole bread. Everybody got broken pieces that had been multiplied. And it's out of the broken pieces of your life that God uses to minister to the world around you. You will have nothing to give to a world that is hurting until you have been broken. But the more God breaks you, the more of you there is to share. The more you go through the painful moments of life, the greater blessing you can be to the world around you. When you pray, God, use me. So many of us think God's gonna put us in a suit and give us a microphone, have us stand on a stage, and act like everything is fine, but nothing happens that way. When you say, God, use me, he is going to break you. And then once he's done breaking you, he's gonna break you again. And then if you wanna be used even greater, he's gonna break you again. And he does not stop breaking us because that is how he blesses us. It's your brokenness that feeds others. The blessing is in the breaking. Stop trying to hide from your broken seasons. Stop trying to act like you have it all together because that's the very thing that God wants to use. Now notice here in verse 41. He then gave the broken pieces to the disciples to distribute to the people. Jesus did not feed the people directly. He gave it to the disciples to feed the people. Write down this note. Blessing flows through your hands. Not from your hands. God wants to bless us so that we can be a blessing. We must be careful to make sure that we give God the praise and the glory for the opportunity we have when he does bless us and we can be a blessing to the world around us. 
It doesn't come from our hand. It comes from Jesus's hand through our hands. God does not have any trouble getting blessings to you, but can he get blessings through you? Because that's the reason why he gives us the opportunity to create wealth so that we can be a blessing to everybody around us. Blessing flows through our hands. We are just vessels. Please don't ever confuse it because God does want to bless you. God wants to multiply you. God wants to enlarge your influence. He wants to bless your finances. He wants to touch your family. But it's so that you can be a blessing to the world around you. Jesus is the source, not the disciples and not us. Now, another thing that's fascinating is that throughout Scripture, we see that God cooks for his people. He's a chef. He makes food. He fed the children of Israel in the desert. He knows how to do it. He's God. He knows exactly how much ingredients he needs. He knows exactly the proportion size for every person that's eating. He's God. He knows it all. But in our story in verse 42, the Bible tells us they all ate and were satisfied. They were completely full but then the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces of bread and fish. It's interesting how Jesus intentionally kept breaking the bread and the fish even though he knew he didn't need to. He could have fed exactly the right amount and had nothing left over because he is God. But Jesus wanted to prove a spiritual lesson to us all, and I pray that you see it today and that it changes your perspective from whatever religious doctrine you have been taught. We serve El Shaddai, the God of more than enough, not El Cheapo, the God of just enough. God wants to bless us beyond anything that we can imagine. He intentionally goes overboard to make sure that there is more blessing than what we can consume. David said in Psalm 23, my cup runneth over. God doesn't want to just give you enough. He wants to give you more than enough. The Bible says in Malachi chapter 3 and verse 10, bring the tithe, the whole tithe, that's all 10%, into the storehouse. That would be the local church. That there may be food in my house. That's God's plan to fund the gospel. But he says, you can test me. It's fascinating to me all throughout scripture, test not God, test not God, test not God, the Bible says. It's the one place. He's like, I dare you to try it. Test me in this and see, look at his nature. If I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you would not have room enough to store it. I'm gonna give you so much in your life. If you'll prioritize my house, if you'll put forth my kingdom first in your heart and in your life, he didn't say, I'll meet all your needs and you'll have just enough to barely survive. No, that's not the God that we serve. We serve a God of more than enough. We serve a God of abundance. We serve the God who wants to give you more than you need. You know why? Because he knows that we need to leave a legacy for our children and for our grandchildren. He knows that in our community, there are people who are hungry and someone needs to feed them. He knows that there are people who are naked and someone needs to clothe them. He knows that the gospel must be preached and it's expensive. So you know what he wants to do? He wants to make you rich. Not so that you can just be rich, but so that you can be a blessing to everybody in your world so that you can pour it out, making a difference, being generous on every occasion. That's God's plan for your life. A God of more than enough because we're supposed to be Generous people. 
able and willing to share, the Bible says, on every occasion. Now in verse 45, the Bible says, immediately he made his disciples to get into the boat, go ahead of him to Bethsaida while he dismissed the crowd. That word made in the Greek means to compel, to drive, or to force. Jesus put the disciples in the boat. Think about this for a minute. Jesus is God. He'd just done this amazing miracle, feeding tens of thousands of people. And then he said to his followers, upon my command, if you're under the sound of my voice, you're gonna get in this boat, you're gonna go to the other side. Knowing full well that there was a storm on the horizon. They were following divine instruction when they encountered the storm. And I just want you to know that from time to time, God will orchestrate storms in your life. Now, I believe that God is all good and the devil is all bad. I think that's settled in scripture. But you can't read the book of Job and not realize that for whatever reason, God will sometimes allow us to go through seasons that are difficult and painful. And in those seasons of storms, the enemy will come into your mind and he will tell you something is wrong. God is judging you. You've missed the Lord. God's mad at you or he's left your life. And in the midst of the storm, we think something is upside down. Something's backwards. I've somehow missed God. But I just want you to know that God never intended for you to go down. He has intended for you to receive a blessing, a revelation of him in the midst of the storm that you can't get on the shore. Jot this down if you're taking notes today. Seasons of blessing are followed by seasons of testing. This is just how life works, and we can see it repeat itself time and again just in this one story. If you're in a season of blessing, get ready. You're about to step into a season of testing. If you're living in a season of testing and the storm is raging all around you, get ready. God is preparing you for a blessing. But don't get comfortable when the blessing comes because you're going to go right back in to a season of testing. And over and over, he takes us from blessing to testing, back to blessing, back to testing, because every time he is breaking us and molding us and shaping us to be who he has called us to be. If you're in a storm, it's because God has ordained it and he's trying to reveal himself to you. Don't be jealous of the people that got left back on the shore whose life seems really easy burping on the blessing. Bunch of people full of that snack pack. They ate all they could and more. And they are fat and happy that they are on the shore. And it would have been normal for the disciples to say, why you put me in this dumb boat rowing for my life when all those people back there ain't got nothing to do? They're all full and they're happy and they're safe. 
Man, we make this mistake all the time. We pray, God, would you use me? God, would you take me to a new level? God, would you give me new opportunity? And then we get mad. Well, they didn't have to walk through this and their family never gets sick and they seem to always be blessed and they never have conflict in their life. And I don't understand why God is treating them different than me. God's got something better for you. He's about to come walking on the water in the middle of your life so that you have a revelation of Jesus that people on the shore will never have. The storm is a blessing. God is breaking you so he can bless you because he's got something bigger for your life than maybe he does for everybody else. Stop being jealous of how he treats other people. This storm is not to destroy you. It is to grow you. But here's the problem. Verse 48, back to where we started. He saw that they were in serious trouble and they were rowing and struggling against the wind and the waves. And it's about three o'clock in the morning now. So Jesus came walking on the water, but he intended to go past them. When they saw him, they cried out in terror, thinking he was a ghost. Jesus spoke to them at once. Don't be afraid, he said. Take courage because I am here. He climbed into the boat and the wind stopped and they were totally amazed. Don't miss this as we close verse 52. For they still did not understand the significance of the miracle of the loaves. I've never seen this until this week. But they just picked up 12 basketfuls of miracles. And while they are rowing and fighting for their lives, they are staring at the remnants of God's miraculous provision. And even with that, they gave up hope. Even with that, they forgot about God's miraculous power. Listen, church, if you're in a storm today, your power doesn't come from where you are. Your power comes from where you have been. And God has taken you through some things to help you for where you're at. The miracles that he performed in your life yesterday weren't about yesterday. When he blessed you, he gave you more than you needed for that last miracle because he knew you were headed into a storm and he wanted to leave a little breadcrumbs on your shoulder so that when the devil whispered in your ear, your life is over, your marriage is over, your future is over, you can look down into that boat and say, my God is a God that provides more than enough. I'm looking at a God that makes fishes and loaves. I have a little snack pack. If he was faithful then, he'll be faithful now. He didn't put me in this boat and send me on this journey to leave me for dead. I know that if God was faithful then, he'll be faithful today. He'll be faithful tomorrow. He will never leave me. He will never forsake me. He will always be with me. Church, don't forget the miracle. We have been where we have been so that we have faith for what's coming. God wants to bless your life today, but we can't forget the faithfulness of God yesterday. Remember how he opened doors. Remember how he provided. Remember how he's touched your life. Pick your eyes up from the storm that you're in and invite Jesus into the boat. Because I promise 
The very disaster that you're walking through is the very thing that Jesus will use to walk into your life. Right in the midst of the storm, Jesus comes walking on the water. But here's the key as we close. He's gonna pass them by. And he will pass you by too, unless you cry out to him. It wasn't until the disciples said, Jesus, come get in the boat, that he came over. But the moment that Jesus got in the boat, the storm stopped. And I don't know what storm is raging in your life, but I promise that if you'll cry out to God today, he'll reveal himself to you in a way that you've never seen him before, and peace will come. With every head bowed and every eye closed, I wanna give you that opportunity today. Nobody moving around at all of our campuses. This is the most important moment of the service. Campus pastors are joining me on the stage. I don't know most of you. I have no way to know what specific challenges or storms you're facing. But God does. And he loves you today. Nobody else move. The Holy Spirit is working on people's hearts. He wants to move in your life today. Maybe today will be the first miracle that you experience that will carry you through the next several. Jesus has never lost sight of you. He knows the chaos the devil has brought into your life. But in this moment, I believe he wants to use all that pain and all that craziness to show up in a way that you have never seen before. If you open your heart to him today, a miracle will happen. Maybe you're here at one of our campuses and you say, you know what, Dave, I'm, I'm far from God been through some storms I feel like I don't count I feel like my life doesn't matter I feel like maybe it's too late for me I'm here to tell you nothing could be further from the truth that's all lies of the devil God sees you and he loves you and he wants to rescue you if you'll just open your life to him so with no one looking around if that's you at all of our campuses you say, Dave, it's time. I need Jesus in the boat. I need a fresh start today. I need some peace in my life. I want to surrender to him. Would you just lift your hand up high? Come on, be bold. Put your hand up high for just a minute. Come on, right now. Put it up high. All our campuses. Yeah, it's amazing. Proud of you. Come put your hands down. Campus pastors are taking their services over. Here at Olson, if you just lifted your hand, I want to pray with you. God's going to do a miracle in your life as we pray this simple prayer. You can pray it quietly in your heart. You just need a minute. Just say, Lord Jesus, I surrender to you today. I give you control of my life. God, I repent. Forgive me of all my sin, all my mistakes. I surrender to you. And just ask him to say, God, make me brand new. Come live in my heart and my life. 
Fill me with your spirit. In Jesus' name I pray. Thank you so much for joining iTown Church online today. We would love to have the chance to meet you and your family in person at one of our campuses. Or, of course, you can join us streaming live online this weekend. Now, for more details about times and locations and even some of our streaming options, you can go to itownchurch.com. I sure hope to see you soon, and God bless.